Our first reading for this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, starting with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God and brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends this reading. Our second reading today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here ends our reading. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Has there ever been someone that you've been told that you resemble a lot? You've probably had someone that you were told, oh, you take after them a lot. For my brother and me, we both were told this about two of our uncles that each of us took after one of them. The issue, if you think through someone you might take after, is do you want to take after them? That sometimes is the issue that we face. When you look at them, you can often see, here's what they did, and you go, oh, I like that. But then you can see the darker side of who you take after, because it doesn't mean necessarily you might take after them with how you look. It's sometimes the, you can see, do you take after them and how you act, your mannerisms. You might look and say, how do you look at someone and go, oh, you're following in my footsteps. And they might be proud about that. But do you have that moment of, oh no, you're following in my footsteps. That's not a good thing. You don't want to be following me in this. Because we then can see when social media, the sad reality is how much do people post that you look and maybe held up and said, they were a great person. Now you look and see what they do and think and their thoughts and you go, oh, I never knew that side of you. I've had that a few times when people that I looked up to, especially as people that marked and helped shape me into who I am, where then you start seeing the darker side when they start posting their thoughts online and you go, oh, you kept quiet about that for years, and now you're letting go on that one. But who shapes you? Who determines and helps you look around and say, this is who you are? For today, as we continue on with our time of covenants, our time of looking at who you are and God's promises, today we look at what often is the issue of the cart before the horse. The issue that we often have of who shapes you, who changes you, who makes you into who you are, well, sadly, we often look and say, I first have to be that before I can see where I'm going. The remarkable thing about the promise that God has is God's word to Israel, God's word and his promise, that solid foundation that we have, is that he starts off with good news. And he keeps pouring that out even in the most surprising place that we wouldn't think of when we hear the Ten Commandments. Because often you hear Ten Commandments and most of us look and go, ugh, things I need to do and that I've been failing at doing. But if you have your scripture with you, if you have our reading for the day, notice what it starts with. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't start with, do this, and I will be your God. Because that's sadly the way that most people treat it, most people look at it, and most people say, here's how you should live. We sadly often look and say, God says, do these things, and you will have a good life. Parents often love it that the only time he says you will have a life is honor your father and mother, and it will be good for you in the land. You will have a long life. Because it's then the flip side. What happens if you dishonor your mother and father? It's not going to be a long life for you with your parents. But the thing is, take note of that. 
Who are you following? Who is your identity? It doesn't start with you and your obedience. It starts with God saying, this is who I am. I am the one who has brought you up out of slavery. I am the one who has brought you up out of the pit. I have redeemed you. I have claimed you. I have changed who you are. I am the one who has gone through and led you out of Pharaoh's hand. This is now who you are. When we gather as God's people in worship, when we gather in Bible study, we continue to hear, read, respond to not what we need to do to change ourselves, but to go through and say, God, this is first who you are and what you have done. It's why we confess and join together saying, who are we? Well, throughout the centuries, God's people have said, we need to look through not what we are doing, but what has he done for us? That this is one of the markers of our faith. This is where we gather and say, God, you have set a promise for us that Moses came to them and said, this is who he is. Well, that then leads to now, who are you? Who are you people who have received this promise? Who are you people who now have known and seen who the Lord your God is? Who are walking in his footsteps? Who are following after this Lord who has redeemed and saved, who has gone through and has risen you up out of slavery itself? Whether that be literal slavery as it was for the Israelites, Or as we hear in Paul's letter, for those of you who were in the bondage of sin and death, that he has set you free from even death itself, that who are you now? Well, this is now where we often get and we have that wrestling with the old Adam within us, with our old self who doesn't want to change. As God says, that is no longer you. You are no longer that person, but that you have been restored. You have been redeemed. You have been set free. What do you do with that freedom? Follow the Lord your God who has set you free. This is what that looks like. Have no other gods before me. Know that I am the one who is your God, who is the one that is there for you. Because I am the one that has set you free to be my people. He even has to tell us, take rest. Stop and cease because you are not a people that has to work for your identity, but gets to rejoice in the identity given to you and a God who says rest is for you as well. He tells us how we are to treat each other, how we are to treat what he has given to us. He looks and says, do not look and covet because I continue to provide and be there for you. We look at seeing how much is constantly there, the conditions of who we are, but yet this continues to not be who we are. We still have that same issue of people who we might mirror and follow, those that we are told that we resemble and have been following after. It goes into the same issue that God's people have been seeing for thousands upon thousands of years. For this was the issue that led to the depression of Martin Luther. He thought, if I just proclaim the gospel and all of its truth and tell people they have been set free through Christ Jesus alone— They're going to live remarkable, sin-free lives. They're going to want to rejoice in that new life given to you. And it didn't happen. This is why you have the small catechism with all of its glory and simplicity that was given so that parents could teach their children. Here is the good news for you, parents, that you can now teach to your kids. And parents said, that's nice. Go off to the church and learn it. And so he then wrote the large catechism that no one reads so that parents would know what the good news is for them in its larger 
context. Because they wouldn't have said, well, why would I want to know this? The issue that we all struggle with, that I struggle with, that you struggle with, is just because you know who God is doesn't mean that we have it in our hearts and minds. The issue that we still face today is just because we are following God doesn't mean we are doing so with all of our being. The issue that God's people dealt with for thousands of years is that just because they say, yes, he is the one who led us out of slavery, it didn't change their hearts and minds. But yet that is the good news for us. The good news that even there, in this text that we have, in the midst of the Ten Commandments, God doesn't even leave us there because he promises that his love goes for thousands upon thousands of generations. Who is he in the midst of our unfaithfulness? He remains faithful. That the foolishness of the cross, as we heard Paul proclaim, is that he has given us life in our stiff-necked ways, in our willing unwillingness to follow him and have our lives changed. He still is faithful to me in all of my unwillingness to say, God, you alone are God. And I should rejoice. I should see that identity. I should see who I now am. That we are reminded throughout God's word, it is not what you have earned. It's not who you have to be. It's not what you have changed about yourself. It is the faithful, steadfast word of the Lord who continues to be there, who continues to change us, and that he even has to give us a new clean heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us into being people that are holy, that God himself has to make us into living temples because not even that can be of our own doing. And so as we prepare ourselves for Easter, the challenge that we often have is seeing all the ways that we don't want to follow. The challenge that we often have is we often look and say, I am doing great in my following of the Lord. But we're not. The challenge we struggle with is what do you do when you realize that you're not following? Do you then look and say, well, God, it's all good. I know I'm forgiven. And you just kind of chalk that up on another thing for the cross. Or do you look and say, God, I know who I should be because of who you are. My encouragement is not to get distressed, not to go through and say, oh no, I am not who I want to be, but instead to remind yourself on who God is, the one who you are following after, because he has already paved the way and told you that he has already done it all for you. And so for the next remaining days of Lent and continuing on after that, look at who he is. Look at his characteristics as we've been doing on Wednesdays. Look at the way that God has continued to shape you And remind yourself that that has already been given to you in Christ Jesus. That he has already said, you are this in Christ. Now we just get to live it. As much as we all fail at that and need the next volume of Luther's larger catechism. And so remember this good news for you. The good news that doesn't change because he is faithful even when we are not. In Jesus' name, amen.